The night may be long and the dark may be deep, but the answers are there to be found. Whether it's the normal, the abnormal, or the paranormal, you're in the right place. Let's go beyond reality. Anyway, welcome to the beginning of the week. I'm looking forward to getting another week started here as we uh, have a lot of great topics and a lot of great guests scheduled for uh, tonight and the rest of the week. Tonight we'll be talking about Nikola Tesla. This is a, a man and a topic that for a very long time was quite ignored. And recently, within the last, I don't know, dozen years, maybe 20 years, more and more attention has been given to his accomplishments and his theories and his ideas. And he's starting to get some of the uh, recognition he deserves. And we're going to continue that trend tonight with Tim Swartz. And we're going to talk about his books that relate to Tesla, plus his research that um, uh, resulted in those books. And uh, find out a little bit more about his work and his, uh, and when I say his, I mean Tesla's work and his achievements and uh, everything that he has done. So I'm going to get our guest on the line. We're going to be talking to, again, Tim Swartz tonight about Nikola Tesla. This is going to be a great conversation. Please support the program. Go to patreon.com slash Joha. That's J-O-H-A-W. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Tim, welcome back to Beyond Reality. It's really great to have you here with us tonight. Why, thank you very much, JV. It's uh, great to be uh, with you tonight. Let's um, let's get people uh, reacquainted with you because it's been a while since you've been on. You know, we know that you've looked into a lot of different topics, written about a lot of different topics, appeared on TV, radio, whatever it happens to be. You're well versed in this stuff. But what got you started to begin with? Where did the curiosity come from? Oh wow! Um, yeah, you know, I I first got interested in uh, all of this stuff probably as far back as uh, elementary school. When uh, I was I was given an assignment, uh, the entire class every week was given an assignment from a, uh, a a little kids newspaper that Scholastic Books used to put out. And it, you know, it was an aggregate of the uh, week's headline news. And uh, one time I was given an assignment to write about UFOs. I had never heard about UFOs. Could have cared less. You know, Indiana boy, I was interested in uh, race cars, Indianapolis 500, things like that. So, you know, I I did my little little paper and, you know, gave the presentation in front of the class. And then uh, I was pegged from then, from from that time on. I was the UFO guy. I was the the person who believed in little green man and flying saucers and things like that. And, uh, but... uh, the funny thing that I noticed is over the years that, you know, people would make fun of you to your face, you know, when everybody else was around. But then later they'd come back and they'd say, you know, I don't believe in this stuff, but. Right. And it was, it was those, it was those buts. <laughs> you know, they would tell me then stories about, you know, how their house was haunted or, the, you know, they, their, their family saw uh, a, a UFO when they were on vacation. And uh, that's, that's what really got me interested in this stuff. You know, not so much the stories, but the way that the people would come to me with these uh, you know, stories. Uh, they, 
the majority, they weren't interested in you know, publicity or, or anything like that. They just wanted to tell somebody who would listen to them and not laugh at them and, and maybe assure them that what happened to them or what you know, continued to happen to them uh, happens to other people and they're not crazy. And uh, through the years, I have found time and again, you know, that same kind of situation coming up. You know, people will come up to me, you know, at uh, when I, I do like a lecture at a conference or something like that. It's the same situation. You know, they 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 want to tell me this story, the experience that they had, because a lot of people have no idea how to mentally categorize. A lot of these things, you know, it's a little bit easier nowadays because of the real proliferation of uh, reality television shows that deal with UFOs and Bigfoots and ghosts. It's amazing, uh, but still, there are a lot of people who will have these experiences, and their brain doesn't know what filing system to put that in. You know, I uh, I saw my dead grandmother standing at the foot of my bed telling me everything was going to be all, all right. Where do I put that in my head? And after they tell me these stories, a lot of them, they don't want explanations or anything like that. They just want to be heard. And they'll, you can see almost like the, the, the weight lifted off their shoulders. And, and they walk away uh, uh, feeling better because uh, most of the time, they can't go and even tell a family member for risk of being laughed at or, or, or being called crazy. Oh, you know, our, uh, family members are the worst when it comes to uh, uh, being made fun of in these types of situations. So, you know, through the years, I have found that probably, gosh, 95, maybe more than that, 90, you know, percent of people have at least one bizarre experience in their life. Uh, most people tend to just try to forget about it and go on with their lives. Uh, other people, you know, they'll chew on it for the rest of their lives, not knowing uh, what to do or what to make of their experience. And, and, and really, that's, that's the stuff that just, just fascinates me about, about all of this. But, and you, you hit on a very important point um, in your answer there. When you mentioned the effect of reality uh, television, particularly paranormal reality type television, that is permeating all of the cable networks, it seems, right. and it, I, I would, ha I would have to say that you might agree, and tell me if you do or don't, uh, that it really has been a bit of a paradigm shift. Oh, oh, it definitely has. I mean, um, really, within. Gosh, I mean, these kind of shows really started to take off. I mean, you know, when I was a kid. Uh, we would have shows like uh, In Search Of, you know, with Peter Graves and uh, uh, Leonard Nimoy, and, and that was about it. Um, you know, later on, um, uh, there were some other shows. Uh, gosh, I can't remember the one now. There was a, there was a big one that Inside Edition uh, used to uh, produce before uh, even before the X-Files came out. But really, it was kind of like the, the X-Files, even though it was a fictional TV show, kind of got all this stuff started, and then, because it's basically cheap <laughs> to produce uh, these, uh, like especially like the ghost hunting shows, yeah. or, or the, uh, the, the, the UFO hunting shows where everybody has a, had those stupid um, camera gears uh, uh, attached to their bodies with the, uh, 
was it the night vision cameras and everybody would be running around the woods uh, bumping into trees and screaming every time an owl hooted <laughs> or something. But it did generate views, and it did get people thinking about the, the the reality of these kinds of experiences, whether it is you know ghosts or UFOs or or even uh, hunting for for Bigfoot, and I think people um, now are a little bit more likely to accept the possibility that uh, the things that you know ten twenty years ago uh, they'd be they'd be laughing you know till they fell to the floor about, and uh, so so yes you're right I mean you know it's it's uh, uh, it, it, it has been a big shift in the 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 acceptance of uh, of the paranormal and the unusual. And I love the fact that you pointed this out as well, because I always it's always cracked me up a little bit. But I also find a little bit of uh, um, sincerity, or no, sincerity is not the word. Um, charm, I guess, is the word in these stories. But I frequently will run into people that'll say, usually it's ghost stuff because that's really what my uh, my history has been involved with. But it can be anything, and they'll say, yeah, that's a bunch of garbage. I don't believe in any of that. But when I was eight years old. I saw my grandfather standing at the end of the bed, and he died two weeks earlier. You know, they always have a story. Everybody seems to have a story of some kind. Right, right. Yeah, that's uh, and, and and that's the funny thing about it is that they may laugh at other people who talk about these kinds of experiences, but they take their own uh, extremely seriously. Right. They, even if they, uh, most people don't even want to talk about it, but when they do. Uh, uh, mention it, boy, they'll, they'll, they get all defensive if somebody turns around and, and laughs at, at, at what they're saying. So, you know, it's, I, I suppose that's just, that's just human nature. You know, uh, uh, you, you believe in the experiences that you have, but uh, other people's experiences, oh, well, that's just a little you know. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so you developed this curiosity and you kind of set down a path to get some answers to some really long standing and maybe um, some uh, what I would consider to be in many cases difficult to answer questions. What, what did you start looking at first from a professional standpoint? What did you start looking at? Well, I professionally, um, it. It was UFOs uh, because when I was in in college, I kind of helped uh, support myself by uh, writing articles for UFO magazines. Uh, you know, back in the uh, uh, middle to late seventies, there were still a number of, of UFO magazines being published. You know, you had uh, um, uh, Saga magazines, UFO reports, uh, True magazine. Uh, uh, had like a, uh, a quarterly UFO magazine, you know, official UFO. And uh, believe it or not, at that time, these magazines actually would pay you to write articles for them. I mean, it wasn't much, but, you know, for a kid going through college, every little bit helped. Um, but um, from, uh, from UFOs, I then started um, writing about um, ghosts and hauntings because I've I've had my own personal experiences, which led me to uh, to do some uh, uh, you know, uh, feet-on-the-ground investigations uh, on my own of other cases. And, and so it just, then it just kind of spread from there, from 
then uh, looking into ghosts and hauntings. I started looking into um, uh, cryptid cases. Uh, the, the place I was going to college had a, uh, um, uh, a number of Bigfoot sightings close to uh, the river that divided Indiana and, uh, and, and Illinois. So that got me interested in, in that. And then, you know, when it, when it comes to these kinds of things, it's just it's 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 like crack cocaine, I suppose. <laughs> you know, it's just uh, it becomes addictive. At least for me, it was. I mean, you know, uh, uh, this was fascinating, and then something else comes up, and we're like, oh my gosh, this is fascinating too. And now, all these years later, I, I it 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 still all of it is just so fascinating to me. You know, some people when they get into uh, uh, these kind of things. They tend to stick with, say, just UFOs or just ghost and hauntings, and 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 really uh, refuse to waver from that path, or even consider that there could be an overlap uh, across all of these uh, different types of unusual phenomena. Uh, but see, for me, it is completely different since I became interested in everything. I began to see that, that there was this, this really interesting overlap between, say, like UFOs, ghosts, and, and even, uh, uh, you know, uh, Bigfoot and other types of, of, of cryptids. They, they all seem to be um, under this, this big extended umbrella, which, you know, a, a lot of these other investigators who, who tend to focus only on one subject, they, you know, they, they hate it when others come out and say, well, you know, there's there's some really good evidence that uh, that people who have UFO sightings also have uh, uh, poltergeist experiences in their house, or you know there's also a, a Bigfoot sighted in UFO flap areas, and um, you know a lot of these researchers will when they get these types of stories they either won't include them in their files or else they'll kind of like edit out some of these uh, other parts of the reports. Uh, because it doesn't fit within their their narrow viewpoint, and and I like to approach these subjects um, with the idea that I'm not here to to edit any of this out. I'm going to take it all in and report it as it's given to me, and then let you know the person who reads it or listens to it decide for themselves. I have a real fascination with people who. Uh, report multiple experiences with the within either a uh, narrow geographic area or a narrow time frame and i'm not sure if they are the person themselves are are acting as some type of paranormal lightning rod that attracts a bigfoot sighting a ufo sighting and a poltergeist experience all within a short period of time or if they happen to be in a place that is just surrounded by these uh, phenomena. And what are your thoughts on this, Tim? Do you think it's the person, it's the place, or it's some combination of all of the above that makes these multiple phenomena uh, reports uh, seemingly more common than we might think? I, I do think that it is a combination of all of the above. Now, saying that, uh, I'll also say that you will have uh, uh, individuals who just really seem to be lightning rods 
for uh, paranormal activity. Um, their, their lives are filled with UFO sightings and ghosts and other weird things. And no matter where they are, where, you know, where they're living, it's like this phenomena uh, follows them around. The other part of that is that uh, a lot of times this kind of stuff runs in families. Uh, if you have somebody who is who has a lot of UFO ghost sightings, things like that, chances are one of their parents or grandparents um, also had uh, similar experiences like that. You know, you you, you see that sometimes in um, UFO abduction reports. That if you have somebody who who complains that uh, that that they're being abducted you know, by the little big-eyed greys who come into the bedroom and, and, you know, shove probes up their nose, chances are that um, this is something that has occurred throughout their uh, family, one branch or the other, for a number of generations. Now, then again, you have people who just kind of stumble across uh, weird activity that seems to be centered over certain areas. Uh, uh, there, there are areas all over the world that are hot spots for UFO and paranormal activity. The funny thing about that is, is that these hot spots come and go. They may be active for, uh, uh, you know, a couple of months, a couple of years, a couple of decades, and then it'll just suddenly stop and maybe move a uh, hundred miles east or west, north, north or south, or just disappear completely. Uh, you. you you see this right now, uh, Pennsylvania, and uh, is is a very uh, a big hot spot. It has been for a number of years, uh, dealing with uh, all kinds of, of, of weird things, yeah. UFOs, cryptid creatures, and and bizarre cryptid creatures. You know, too, you know, things that look like that they've uh, jumped off, jumped out of the uh, the outer limits or something, <laughs> not just. You know, Bigfoot or things like, you know, Dogmen or Dogmen with Wings or, uh, 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 what, what was, oh, um, like the, uh, uh, the, the, the Screaming Devil Monkeys is, is a good one that uh, seems to be going on that uh, from, like, uh, southern Pennsylvania into West Virginia, Kentucky, you know, places like that uh, where, you know, people are reporting these, these large chimpanzee-type uh, uh, monkeys that just suddenly uh, leap out of the forest and onto their car, uh, but they're like uh, uh, like they have rabies or something, just, you know, mouthfuls of impossibly long teeth and uh, glowing red eyes, just totally bizarre stuff. Um, so, again, I mean, you know, I, I think it's a combination of, of, of a lot of different things where, where people seem to be haunted, but then again, there are haunted locations as well. If you just happen to stumble into the wrong place at the wrong time, you know, you may uh, run into something. Tim, you um, got a, a an interest in Nikola Tesla along the way, too. What was, about, what, what, what was it about Tesla's story that put it into the same category of everything we just talked about? I mean, we talked about things like uh, it was screaming uh, devil monkeys or whatever you, <laughs> you just said, and Bigfoot and UFOs and uh, ghosts and poltergeists, and now we have Nikola Tesla. How does that fit into this, into this sphere of curiosity that you have? 
I used to work for a television station in Dayton, Ohio, in the uh, early 1980s, and uh, one of my uh, one of my jobs was to go to uh, Wright Patterson Air Force Base, which you know is, is right there next to Dayton, and uh, uh, you know, a couple you know once every couple of weeks or so. Uh, a, a, a producer and myself, we would uh, we would go and uh, check in with the uh, press liaison there to see if they had any uh, uh, anything interesting going on that uh, that we could do a story on that we could you know do a report for uh, um, one of our newscasts. And uh, Roy Patterson was always you know very helpful and always very willing uh, to 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 provide something interesting uh, uh, for us. And uh, one one day. When we were there, the uh, you know, the, the lieutenant, I, I, th- I think that's uh, what his classification was, you know, he was going through his files trying to find something. And he made this offhand <laughs> remark. He said, you know, we're, we're doing some research based on uh, the, uh, the work of that mad scientist Tesla. But I can't really talk about that right mm. now. And then went on. You know, to to something else, and I, at that point, um, I don't think that I had ever heard of Nikola Tesla before. If I had, uh, it 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 hadn't stuck at, at that point. But that name, Tesla, Mad Scientist Tesla, I was like, well, what, what's that all about? And of course, it didn't occur to me till after we had you know done whatever story we're on and and had left. I was like, okay, who's who's this Mad Scientist Tesla that? The Air Force is doing experiments uh, based on his work. So I started doing my own research, and, and fortunately, you know, when uh, uh, when you're you're working for a television station or, or you know, a newspaper or anything like that, you had you have access to all kinds of uh, 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 great sources. We we have a thing called the uh, the uh, 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 Nex- uh, Lexus Nexus, I think so. Lexus Nexus. Yeah, the research thing. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and uh, it, mo- you know most people they they can't get access to that. Uh, That's right. Uh, but, uh, you know, uh, the station that paid you know good money to uh, allow us. To get it wasn't so cheap. I, it, that wasn't a cheap service back when it was the only no, option. No, wow. it was not. Um, after I had left that station, I looked into uh, even though I was working for I, you know I, I started working for another station that didn't pay for that, and I looked into it to see how much it would cost, and I was like, oh, no, that's <laughs> not going to happen. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but then that's that's when I started discovering uh, uh, more about Tesla, and again, this would have been like the, the early uh, 1980s, and there still was not a lot of information to be had, um, uh, mostly from some, uh, like, electronic journals. And, and things like that. Uh, there was a couple of, of reports um, from the, uh, uh, the, uh, the Getty News Service uh, from the uh, uh, early 40s uh, on Tesla's birthday, because uh, every, every year before he died, when he had his birthday, he would give like a little press conference, and the uh, local newspaper, New York newspapers, would do a story on him. You know, here's what uh, uh, Doctor Tesla says is you know going to happen this coming year, and some of his uh, uh, experiments are going to you know produce such and such a thing. Other than that, it was very difficult uh, to to find any information uh, about the guy, and and that just kind of led 
to you know the my journey of of trying to dig out as much uh, um, uh, info about Nikola Tesla uh, that I could. Why did do you think that Tesla? And I think I found the same thing to be true. I and mean, I hadn't really heard of Nikola Tesla until. I say rather recently, you know, maybe 20 years ago, it started to really show up on the radar. But why do you think he was largely forgotten to history or maybe not forgotten, but ignored by the storytellers for so long when it seems to be his contributions were so plentiful and his ideas were so groundbreaking? Um, and we're starting to realize all of that now. So why the shroud over Tesla for so long? It really is amazing how... He had, he, he had become just, I mean, almost just completely forgotten up until really very, very recently. You know, in fact, there used to be a, um, an exhibit in the Smithsonian Institute that attributed the discovery of electricity and the, um, the AC current system along with the AC motor, mm-hmm. to Thomas Edison. Oh, really? Yes, yes. Wow. Um, yeah, and I mean, it, it finally, I guess, was was taken down probably at the beginning of uh, the 21st century. But up until that time, I guess this display, uh, and that uh, Somewhere in my files, I have I have a picture of it, but you should see my files. <laughs> uh, but uh, but yeah, uh, you know, I think um, that may be one of the reasons, among many, that Tesla was somewhat forgotten. Was that Edison really dominated uh, the whole electrical thing um, after Tesla's uh, uh, death? Because uh, you know Edison, the light bulb. So naturally, if Edison, you know, you could just see how this uh, train of thought would go. Edison invented the light bulb, electricity. Edison, yeah, makes sense. Um, and I don't. And probably Edison and his uh, uh, heirs, uh, you know, they're not going to dispute that. Right. Uh, General Electric <laughs> isn't going to dispute that. <laughs> um, but uh, as well. In Tesla's later years, you know, he was always uh, an an eccentric person. Not so much when he was younger, but as he grew older, I think that um, that eccentric side of him that that he he possibly managed to keep down a little bit when he was younger, as he got older, uh, became more and more uh, predominant in his personality. Uh, he he became a loner. Um, he, you know, he did like, as I said earlier, he did like to have his press conferences on his birthday. But um, uh, he, uh, people nowadays would say possibly that that he would he sat somewhere on the spectrum. Um, you, you know, if you know what I mean. That, right. Sure. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, uh, so I mean, uh, he, for instance, he he detested. Pearls, pearl necklaces on women. For some reason, I mean, it, it was just like uh, uh, you know, it, it just sat wrong with him, and, and he couldn't bear to look at that. He was extremely fastidious. Um, uh, he was a germaphobic. 
uh, his um, like eating utensils, he would always eat at a certain restaurant at the uh, Hotel New Yorker that he lived in, and, and you know his knives and forks had to be set in a specific order. Uh, things like that. And so uh, by the time that he was elderly, a lot of his great work had mostly been, been forgotten about. And uh, so after he passed away, he really just, he, his name just kind of uh, fell into oblivion. Uh, and, and this, now you have to also remember that um, uh, uh, Marconi had been awarded the patent to, uh, you know, claiming that he invented a radio. radio. That's right. Even though it was uh, a Tesla who had uh, previously had several patents uh, uh, along these lines. And it wasn't until after Tesla had passed away that uh, the, the, the patent rights were taken away from Arconi and given back uh, to Tesla. But even then, he, he was already being, being forgotten about, at least by the general public, because there were a lot of, of laboratories, especially uh, government-based uh, laboratories, who were continuing to work on uh, things that Tesla had been uh, working on developing uh, over over the years, and of course, you know that's that's the other uh, fascinating aspect about Tesla's life was that even though publicly he was declared a, a crackpot, a crank, a mad scientist, yet years after he died, there were still all kinds of research and development being done on uh, uh, Tesla's ideas and inventions. Yeah, that is that's a fascinating part of his work as well because it certainly survived his death, and the ideas were uh, valid enough that people continued to work on them, and many are still being worked on today. Let's go back and talk a little bit about Tesla's life before. Um, I know he went to work for Thomas Edison, but was he? An, I don't remember. Was he an immigrant to this country? Give us a little bit about his background. Sure. Well, um, he was born in 1856 in the. Uh, what was then the uh, the Austro-Hungarian Empire? Uh, he was uh, he was Serbian, so I mean uh, uh, he he was born in the area of what used to be called you know Yugoslavia, right. which is now you know split up into a number of different uh, countries. And um, you know even at an early age, he he showed a a real penchant towards um, uh, science and invention and engineering and. Uh, you know, his father was uh, an Orthodox priest and had hoped that Tesla would uh, would become a priest uh, as well. And um, uh, Tesla made a made a deal with him one time. Uh, Tesla had gotten extremely uh, ill once, and his his father thought that he was going to pass away, and and. Because he thought that Tesla was going to die, his father said, "Okay, if you live, you know, you can you can go off to university, and you know, I won't bug you anymore about uh, about becoming a priest." Well, Tesla lived, and so his dad allowed him to uh, uh, study uh, in uh, uh, see, Austria, Hungary, places like uh, places like that, right. uh, because he excelled so much and impressed his professors, they actually wrote him a letter of recommendation uh, to Thomas Edison. Uh, 
And uh, so then Tesla immigrated to uh, the United States specifically to work for Thomas Edison and, uh, and, and took uh, the, several of these, these glowing letters uh, to present to, to Edison. And uh, Edison, at that time, had already developed uh, his own uh, electrical power system based on direct current, uh, and he was in the process of putting this together in uh, New York City. Pro- the problem with Edison's system was that D.C. current doesn't travel very far before it has to be uh, uh, stepped up again and, uh, and then uh, you know, transmitted another block or so. So you know, every, every couple of blocks there would be a new uh, a, a, a transmitter array that, w- that would be set up to keep this current going. You know, Tesla approached Edison and, 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 you know, I want to work for you, and Edison hired him. And uh, one of the first things that Edison hired Tesla to do was to fix a power system that was on a yacht of a friend of Edison that, w- that was sitting in New York's harbor. Uh, the, the generator had, uh, I guess, had basically just blown up and had fried the entire electrical system you know, on this yacht. And, and when I say yacht, this was a pretty good-sized uh, uh, ship. He promised Tesla, and, uh, and, and who knows... Everybody reports that this is true, and, and knowing from what I've read about Edison, it, it, it probably was, because he didn't expect Tesla to, uh, to be able to, to fix this uh, uh, ship. So he, he told Tesla that uh, you know, if he got it fixed, that he would give him a bonus of you know, just an outrageous amount of money, you know, probably the equivalent of about uh, you know, $50,000 today, right. something along those lines. So uh, Tesla went out to, to this ship and fixed it in a matter of a day or so. And it wasn't hard for him at all. And he came back and he said, okay, it's all fixed. Where's my money? And Edison refused to pay him and told Tesla that, uh, well, you just don't understand the American sense of humor. And Tesla did not understand the American sense of humor and promptly quit. And um, that kind of started from that day on the whole uh, war of currents between uh, Edison and Tesla. And, 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 you know, for a couple of years, Tesla had to resort to, you know, uh, menial labor, digging ditches and things like that before he finally convinced uh, uh, some, uh, uh, some other entrepreneurs that his ideas for the, uh, the development of uh, the AC motor and you know, ultimately, what would lead to uh, the whole AC uh, uh, current, which dominates the world now, um, uh, to, to you know, to be able to, uh, uh, to, to to fund Tesla and to do the proper research to get this stuff going, which was in direct competition, naturally, with uh, with, with Thomas Edison, and because of that, and. And because basically Tesla won that war, I mean, uh, we have AC current as our main source of electricity uh, throughout the world, not DC except for batteries and, and you know small electrical instruments. Well, Edison didn't like that very well, and uh, and he swore 
that um, you know every chance that he would get, he would make Tesla's life miserable, and and he did too. I mean, um, when uh, AC power was uh, building up, <laughs> excuse me, across the country, and the lines, the uh, generators had been built at Niagara Falls, the lines were being <laughs> put out uh, across the country. Edison was trying to show that AC current was dangerous and conducted these public spectacles where he would electrocute dogs and uh, other animals, including an elephant. elephant right? Yeah, he, he did an elephant. That's a famous, and it's all on uh, film. Or um, yes. he filmed the whole thing. It's rather, it's rather disgusting display. But that was one of the things he did. Well, and in fact, the the first uh, electric chair, you know, to kill a prisoner, uh, was built by Edison as an attempt to show to the public that uh, um, Tesla's AC current was extremely dangerous, and that look, you know, this. Uh, we're going to fry these prisoners, these human beings, you know, using AC current. And uh, so, I mean, and, and you want it coming into your house? You know, how stupid are you? you know, ultimately, though, um, none of Edison's uh, <laughs> dirty tricks uh, worked. And uh, uh, Tesla's ideas, uh, when it came to um, um, the AC motor and alternating current, uh, did, did prevail at least through Tesla's uh, lifetime. I mean, you know, like I said earlier, we still have our electrical grid, our electrical system based on AC current, but Edison's name was still ended up being a lot more well-known than Tesla. It's so bar. Well, I mean, Edison had was seemed to be a... Um a consumer electronics pioneer, in addition to some of this more industrial type stuff. I mean, things that we recognize today as as household uh, miracles um, came from Edison's studios and his his work. Um, but I think now might be a good time, Tim, to uh, differentiate. Just so people know, we we talk about AC and DC uh, pretty freely here because we know what this story is about, but uh, folks might be saying, what does ACDC mean? What, what are those, what's the difference between those two? Can you give us a sense of what we're talking about and why the two are different? Well, a, a, a little bit. I mean, uh, uh, I'm not, I'm not too much of an electrical engineer, but um, okay. DC stands for direct current. All right. Um, and, and AC stands for uh, alternating current. Um, but as for you know, exactly um, the idea, you know, for alternating current uh, um, came to Tesla, and, and I have to admit, you know, this this is a uh, a fascinating story and a fascinating aspect about Tesla. And I would be you know remiss if I didn't mention this. One of the things that that makes Tesla so unique is that. When he had an idea for an invention, he would have visions, basically, as he would call them, where he would see whatever it is that he was trying to develop. They would appear, he said, by right in front of his eyes. And, and, and from his descriptions, they would sound almost like um, a hologram. He could see 
you know, the, the, the item. And, you know, when he first uh, conceived the, the AC motor, this is what it was. He saw this AC motor appear in front of his eyes. You know, mentally he could turn it around in any direction. It was like 3D. He could uh, take it apart and see all the, uh, uh, the, the components. And, um, and that's, uh, he, it was then up to him to, uh, uh, to actually uh, take this vision and, and make it a reality. And, and when it came to the AC motor, um, it, actually, uh, it, it actually worked. Now, um, let's see. AC motors before Tesla, they were uh, laboratory devices, curiosities. You know, they never ran smoothly uh, because they you know, were were poorly designed. And, and, and in fact, uh, one of uh, Tesla's professors told him that an AC motor uh, was basically just a perpetual motion device, and to not even about uh, you know bother with it. Um, you know, uh, direct current uh, was what everybody was expecting was going to be, uh, uh, you know, the big thing. Direct current motors have one obvious drawback, though. Uh, reversing current direction through uh, magnet windings can happen only with some sort of switching that uh, swaps current direction end for end. Uh, this is normally done uh, from, from my notes here by applying power through a pair of stubby contacts called brushes that ride against the spinning rotor shaft against a ring of contacts. Um, thus, it's always rotating its connections with the brushes, sending current through the rotor windings first in one direction and, that's, uh, and then the other. So what Tesla conceived is um, uh, an alternating current that's fed to uh, windings that would create poles that reverse themselves without any mechanical aid. Uh, Remains motionless in its fields and in fact swirling around its interior from one pole face uh, to the next. So you know, uh, I don't know if that's <laughs> yeah, I mean, a good explanation uh, uh, to that, but uh, you know, to say that uh, you know AC current tends to be a lot more efficient, and even though it has a um, um, a lot higher, higher power, it can travel a lot further than DC, um, which is uh, really, uh, we now know, is basically uh, better for smaller instruments that uh, don't require the, uh, the the current to travel very far. I don't know if I explained that very well, but... <laughs> yeah, you, you did, and uh, better than I could have, which is why I let you do it instead of trying to do it myself. <laughs> uh, we're talking with Tim Schwartz tonight. Uh, his website is um, easy to find. It's conspiracyjournal.com. A lot of books to his credit, including The Lost Journals of Nikola Tesla, Tim R. Schwartz's big book of alien encounters, Geff the Talking Mongoose, America's Strange and Supernatural History. Uh, there's there's quite a list there, Tim. Um when we, we talk about Tesla's early years and his, uh, his rivalry that developed with Edison, um, who, he, when, when Tesla had ended, ended up leaving Edison's employ, and he, he yep. found some money and some backers from other, some other people, and there, there were some pretty notorious people involved there, weren't there? Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, um, when, uh, like I said earlier, when, when Tesla first uh, left, um, 
the Edison, the Edison Company. You know, he he had a pretty hard uh, time of it. Uh, he Basically, uh, just kind of uh, did odd menial jobs. Like I said, he he even went and um, you know dug ditches. And he finally started um, finding some backers for his his ideas. Uh, first of all, because uh, Edison was dominating uh, this whole business, and there were other uh, entrepreneurs who were like you know. We see the potential for money here. We just need to find uh, uh, somebody who can go against uh, uh, Edison's ideas. So uh, some of, of, of Tesla's uh, uh, backers were people like um, J.P. Morgan, um, uh, uh, John Astor, uh, uh, Lord uh, uh, Rothschild, and uh, uh, W.K. Uh, Vanderbilt. You know, these uh, these were the people. That uh, eventually started um, paying Tesla to uh, build a laboratory in uh, in Manhattan and to uh, uh, start uh, doing the research to uh, take his AC motor and to um, and to make it bigger and better. Tesla's idea was that he was going to take these generators and build them at Niagara Falls to generate electricity that could then power the country. Now, you have to remember, I mean, this was in the late 1890s, all right? This sounded incredible to most people. Right. You know, okay, yeah, yeah, you're going you're gonna to harness the falls at Niagara, you know, at Niagara Falls to generate electricity and power New York, Buffalo, places like that. Yeah, you're crazy. J.P. Morgan didn't think he was crazy. J.P. Morgan was willing to uh, um, uh, to put money into this. You know, and this you know this would later become the Westinghouse uh, 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 company, and uh, so ultimately Tesla was right. He was able to build the first uh, uh, electrical uh, generating plant at Niagara Falls, and you have to remember, you know, nobody had ever done this before, with the exception of a smaller scale using DC current uh, by Edison in New York. And when I'm talking about a smaller scale, I mean, you know, just uh, uh, maybe about these generators were maybe about the size of of, of a desk. All right. I don't know if you've ever been or seen pictures of the Tesla generators at Niagara Falls, but they're huge. They would fill an entire room, just one of them. And there, there were a number that Tesla and his uh, uh, engineers built themselves based on uh, uh, Tesla's ideas. Uh, you know, again, nobody else had ever built anything like this before. So, you know, here is this young upstart. Who was able to take this uh, uh, this money that had been uh, given to him, and uh, and build this this marvelous electrical generation system at Niagara Falls, using the force of the falls to generate electricity. Uh, you know, it, it had never been done before, and it was just this fantastic thing. One of the ironies 
about all of this is that the government granted Tesla and Westinghouse the rights to build this plant and to generate the electricity, but the electric lines that would carry this electricity from Niagara Falls, uh, you know, first it was to you know, places like you know, Buffalo and, and, and New York, and, but then it went out to you know, other places. The company that was awarded to build these cables was the Edison Company. <laughs> and that really, that, that ended up kind of smacking Tesla in the face because the Edison Company really put the screws uh, to Tesla and Westinghouse uh, on this. You know, I mean, they, they charged out the wazoo for these things, and, you know, there was developmental delays, and, you know, they took their sweet time putting things up, and, uh, and, and it was because of that that Tesla started working on his idea, well, maybe there's a way that electricity could be transmitted without the use of cables. So thanks to Edison, even though Edison never realized that, thanks to Edison, this put that spark into Tesla's head that maybe there was a better way to to send electricity uh, from where it was being generated to to your house or, or, or business or anything like that. And that's a great transition into this idea that uh, Tesla had regarding what a lot of people think of as free electricity for everybody. Um, that's kind of the way he described it. And he was uh, put a lot of, of his energies into building a facility that never operated, but that was supposed to be designed to do exactly what you said, create abundant free electricity and deliver it in a way that didn't require electric cables. Talk a little bit about this. Well, after after the success of, of the... Uh the power plant at Niagara Falls and and the the success of of AC current, which you know made Westinghouse and Tesla a lot of money. I mean, they you know this they they were extremely rich and and Tesla was rich as well. I mean, his uh, um, uh, he was given um, royalties from you know I can't, you know, I can't remember what the how much it was, but you know every um, 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 every volt uh, of, of electricity that that was uh, uh, generated by uh, by this facility, Tesla would get a royalty, you know, from that. So I mean, you know, Tesla was 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 getting a lot of money, uh, but it still stuck with him that uh, you could generate this electricity, but you still have to have these cables to. Right. Get them to uh, where you needed them to go. So um, eventually, he he moved for a while to Colorado Springs, Colorado, in uh, around eighteen ninety eight, uh, with the sole purpose of seeing. Uh, first of all, you know, he had the idea. First of all, that you know uh, there could be a way that you could harness um, electricity from the air, from like thunderstorms and lightning things like that. Um, so Colorado Springs 
due to its location, lots of thunderstorms, you know, lots of lightning, and you know, it's a good place to to do these kinds of experiments. Uh, you know, unfortunately, you know, he was never able to make that aspect uh, uh, possible. Uh, you know, lightning, static electricity, almost impossible uh, uh, to harness. But he was also working on the idea that um, uh, using a type of, and, and, you know, we really still don't quite understand um, uh, how Tesla was going to do this. He knew how, uh, but that unfortunately has not come down uh, to the rest of us over the years. And, and he, kind of, he perfected this idea using a, some kind of resonate, uh, re, resonating uh, uh, um, um, capability uh, combining the earth and the atmosphere, uh, where you could generate electricity at, at its source and then um, beam it basically to uh, wherever uh, a, a proper receiving array uh, was set up. A lot of people now think that Tesla, Tesla's idea was really nothing more than just putting up a big, you know, a Tesla coil uh, into the air and just generating uh, just a huge amount of electricity and just let lightning bolts uh, fly in every direction. Naturally, that would work because every lightning rod or TV antenna or what have you would be getting struck uh, by this electricity, and plus it's not very efficient. It wouldn't, it wouldn't travel very far. Yet there are still um, there are still uh, 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 television shows being produced right now where you have these uh, scientists and engineers saying, "Yeah, this is what Tesla was going to do," and you know they have like a big Tesla coil in their backyard and they shoot lightning from it, and, and you know it looks impressive, but it's not what Tesla was going to do. Um, unfortunately, because of the problems that Tesla had had with the patent office and with other people uh, uh, stealing his ideas, when Tesla would make a file for a patent, he would only include just enough information to get the patent, but he wouldn't include everything. All right? And this was especially the case with his, um, uh, his wireless electrical system. Uh, we don't know exactly. There's like, uh, you know, you have paper A, paper D, but paper C is missing. Uh, some of this paperwork has been discovered at the Tesla Museum in uh, Belgrade, uh, but um, unfortunately the, uh, the government officials won't allow people, uh, or at least um, Western people, <laughs> to examine this paperwork. You know, some people have been shown, there was a, a show called The Tesla Files that uh, uh, the host of the show actually went to the museum, and the, the museum curator brought some of this paperwork out, allowed them to look at it, but not to take pictures or mm. take notes or anything like that. So, you know, we, we only have really just like a rudimentary idea of what exactly Tesla had in mind. That being said, Tesla was certain that this was something that, uh, that would work. And uh, 
with uh, the help of, uh, again, J.P. Morgan and, and some of these others uh, uh, who were investing in the Westinghouse company, uh, uh, he convinced them to allow him to build this huge transmitting array on Long Island, New York. Um, it's, uh, he, he built this, this huge tower, and this was going to be his prototype. His, his, uh, this would be the thing that um, uh, he could demonstrate successfully that this would um, uh, produce electricity and uh, transmit it uh, wirelessly to uh, various locations. Now, Tesla's idea was that this would be something, uh, well, uh, our, uh, our modern cell phone system is very similar to what Tesla's idea was, with the exception that um, uh, uh, these arrays would actually uh, uh, generate electricity you know, at the locations and then transmit them, say, to the next array and then so on and so forth. Anybody, everybody in between these areas would be able then to uh, uh, to pick up this electricity. Um, now, Tesla understood that his benefactors would not understand how they could profit from this system because at this point everybody you know had a very clear idea that uh, you know you put a, uh, when electricity came by cable to your house, you'd, you know, there'd be a meter. Right. You'd use that meter to uh, record how much electricity you're using, and then, you know, you'd be charged for it. Uh, you know, I'm sure that Tesla um, had uh, ideas on how people would be charged for this, but he was fairly certain that uh, uh, J.P. Morgan and the others wouldn't understand this. So Tesla kind of, um, of, kind of hid a little bit what this transmitting tower was going to do. He instead said that this was going to be the first of an international radio system, uh, wireless telephone, as he called it, or, uh, that you would be able to transmit telephone signals, radio signals um, all over the world, starting with this one array. Uh, array. Again, you know, you'd, you'd have others scattered all across the planet. Tesla even said that he would be able to transmit uh, um, uh, television signals. I mean, they were already thinking about television uh, in the, uh, the, the late uh, 19th, earliest 20th century. Uh, but, um, you know, he kind of uh, fudged a little bit on telling them that, yeah, and also we're going to uh, transmit electricity to, uh, to power houses without, uh, uh, without wires. So, um, once J.P. Morgan and the others found out that this was going to be a system that also transmitted electricity, Tesla's fears were confirmed. They could not conceive how they could profit from this. If everybody was going to get electricity without cables, how are we going to make money off of it? And they pulled their funding. The, 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 the Tesla Tower was only partially completed at that time. It, it, uh, it's still needed, uh, it, it had a dome on the top of it that was going to be covered in copper plates. And uh, there was also a, um, it was going to be a, 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 at first, a coal-driven 
power plant uh, at this uh, location. That was only partially uh, completed as well. Unfortunately, after they pulled the money, they then sued Tesla, and, uh, and, and then he countersued, and by that time, Tesla's name was Mud. Uh, nobody would deal with him. They ever, uh, J.P. Morgan and the Westinghouse Company accused Tesla of being insane, that he was developing something that would never work, and if he wasn't insane, then he was a con artist, and it just you know, for uh, a lot of years uh, after this debacle, nobody would hire Tesla. Uh, his uh, newspaper accounts called him a mad scientist. There's that name again, and it's just it it just totally ruined him. Even though his system more than likely would have worked, and if they had allowed him to continue with it, not only would they have become even richer. Um, probably uh, this planet today would be completely different than than we have now. Tim, I've got to ask you, that's a, that's quite a statement, though. Uh, this system probably would have worked, or however you phrased it. Do we have any, I guess, what, what do you base that on? But also, did Tesla ever demonstrate the concepts on a smaller scale to the point where you could say, okay, theoretically this can work? Or was it yeah. all just in his in his his paperwork in his mind? No, no. Oh, he he did uh, uh, when he was at uh, um, Colorado Springs, Colorado. He did uh, 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 you know have uh, a number of demonstrations to show that it did uh, that it would work. Um, he actually put um, um, uh, a field of electric light. Uh, about uh, uh, two or three miles away from his his laboratory, uh, up on the, uh, the the mountain of Colorado Springs, and uh, you know would uh, uh, throw his uh, throw the switch, and uh, from the, uh, the the smaller version of his uh, uh, tower there at Colorado Springs, uh, you know these lights would uh, would glow. Um, uh, now at first. He was having. He had trouble fine-tuning the system because, again, it, it probably is working on some kind of resonating system that uses both the ground and the atmosphere. And uh, you know, when his earlier experiments, it was like uh, uh, some of his detractors say. You know, you had uh, uh, people miles away would get electric shocks when they would touch the doorknobs of their houses, or you know, or uh, right. it, it, and in fact, at uh, one point, he accidentally uh, blew out the generator at the uh, Colorado Springs uh, Electric Company, which uh, uh, Tesla kindly uh, fixed, uh, you know, himself afterwards. However. After he got, after he, you know, uh, fine-tuned this and was able to get a, you know, a better understanding on uh, the frequencies that were required <coughs> for this system, it, uh, you know, it worked time and time again, but without causing, um, you know, a, uh, um, uh, an outflow, so to speak, of electricity in places that you know shouldn't be picking it up, only. The antennas that were erected both uh, up in the air and into the ground uh, uh, would receive 
uh, this electrical energy. And so, you know, Tesla was certain that this would work on uh, on an even grander scale. Uh, you know, and again, you know, you read a lot of people who have reported about this system, and uh, uh, they they fail to mention that the the transmitting tower that Tesla had put up in uh, Long Island, New York, was not going to be the only one. Uh, I'm, nobody really quite knows how many would be, you know, required. You know, again, it's probably kind of like uh, um, uh, cell phone towers. Uh, you know, you you have them, you know, at very so many miles away uh, for, from each other. It probably would have been the similar situation uh, with 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 the Tesla towers. But uh, you know, Tesla was not the kind of guy that would go and take all this money and start construction on this facility uh, in New York if he was not certain it was going to work. That just was not the personality, you know, that, that he had. Um, he, uh, again, you know, like I talked, you know, talked before, um, he was very, um, I don't know, maybe like, uh, like OC, had OCD or, or something along those lines. I mean, if... if if this was not going to work the way he exactly intended it to, he wasn't going to um, continue with his research until he had perfected it. So uh, that just tells me when he got that far to actually get funding, build the tower, almost ready to go with it, that he was certain that it was going to work exactly like it had worked out at Colorado Springs. Well, well, one more question about this wireless electricity idea, and then we'll move on. Um, are these ideas lost to time, lost with Tesla, or have they been lost to profiteering and uh, kind of hidden and, and buried because there isn't an effective way to uh, to profit from them? I think that, okay, I, I, I don't think that it is lost. All right. Um, uh, more than likely, uh, there has been continued research along this line, um, especially in the military. All right. Um, I, I have I have heard stories from several different sources. Unfortunately, I you know I can neither confirm or deny it that uh, uh, for for a number of years now that uh, uh, there is a, that, that soldiers have been issued basically like backpacks. And they'll go out to, say, you know, like out in the desert or someplace like that or on, on a mission, and they set up this backpack and they put up this antenna and they receive electricity from it. They're able then to power their camp from this one uh, 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 machine that they don't, you know, they're not told how it works. They're just told how to operate it, you know, put it, uh, set it up, put one antenna, you know, like uh, ground it and put another uh, antenna in the air, and it will provide sufficient electricity uh, uh, to power your camp. So I suspect that this is probably a uh, a, a Tesla-based system. And, and this is something that you, you've, you've been told about? Yes, I have been told about this, like I said, from 
several different uh, uh, sources, uh, completely independent of each other as well. You know, that's the amazing thing about it. And, uh, you know, one gentleman, and, and, and unfortunately, you know, I, I, I can't mention their names because I would get them in very big trouble. Um, uh, uh, one person just happened to just, you know, just kind of you know, talk about it out of the blue, <coughs> uh, you know, with not really, not really knowing that I had an interest in this kind of stuff, uh, Tesla-related, not even um, putting two and two together that this could in any way be related uh, uh, to Tesla. You know, he just to- he just told me this story about how they had this this wonderful uh, uh, thing that they were able to set up in their camp uh, out in the middle of, of nowhere, and all they had to do was uh, uh, set it up, uh, put up, uh, ground it, put an antenna up, and uh, and then it could uh, it could power the entire camp. You know, now you know why I say the entire camp. I mean, you know, I'm not talking about a huge camp. Right, right. Just a little little encampment. Um, yeah, yeah. We have to move on because we're going to run out of time, Tim. But a great question just scrolling through our chat room here. Um, what happened at the time? And we're going, to, we're going to ask this. I'm going to back up a little bit. But what happened at the time of Tesla's death with his papers and his books and his materials? There's quite a controversy over that. And some believe the government confiscated much of it. What are your What are your thoughts and what did you discover when you researched? Right, right. Well, um, uh Tesla's final years, uh, he spent at the, uh, um, uh, the the New Yorker Hotel in in New York. And uh, despite the fact that uh, 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 people thought that uh, he was basically uh, penniless, I mean, he was still able to stay at this fairly nice uh, hotel. He was receiving uh, money from uh, a number of different uh, locations, um, but um, uh, when he passed away. There, uh, according to uh, uh, released FBI papers, uh, there was a lot of concern that went as far up as the White House that uh, that Tesla had information in his uh, in his notes and papers that would be of security concern for the United States. Well, this was correct because uh, uh, Tesla had actually developed what he called a death beam. And uh, had tried to interest the United States uh, in it in the uh, in the late 1930s, and he was just basically ignored. He ended up actually selling it uh, to uh, the Soviet Union, who you know at that time was an ally of uh, the United States. And apparently, um, uh, the, the Soviets were pretty happy with what they got because a couple of years later, they uh, uh, they gave Tesla even more money. Uh, for uh, for this idea, so because of this, after he died, uh, the FBI uh, got the uh, the Office of, of Foreign Affairs, of all places, even though Tesla was a nationalized citizen, to uh, to come in and to uh, clean out his uh, his apartment. Tesla had a safe there. He had a warehouse uh, full of, of boxes and crates of his paperwork, and there was even more material that was scattered uh, at, at various other locations, and you know, they tried to get a hold of everything that they possibly uh, could and, uh, and then go through it to see if there was anything of any interest. Uh, now, the, the interesting thing about all this is that uh, 
President uh, Trump's uh, uncle uh, was the gentleman. He was a, uh, a scientist from MIT who, who came in to examine this material, which there was, uh, I couldn't even begin to tell you, I mean, you know, they say that there was like maybe more than a railroad cart, car full wow. of boxes of material. This guy um, went through this material in less than two days and then wrote a letter saying, nothing to see, folks, nothing to see here, folks, move along. And, uh, and then a lot of it just dis- then disappeared. Some of it uh, disappeared into the uh, uh, top secret files of, of, of various uh, military laboratories. Some of it ended up at Wright-Patterson Air Force Base. A lot of it in the uh, 50s, for some reason, was released to the Tesla Museum in Belgrade. Uh, I have no idea why the United States government allowed that to happen unless they had take, made copies for themselves and then just, you know, let... Uh, what they didn't, what they thought possibly, you know, wouldn't be valuable uh, uh, stuff uh, to to the museum. So it's, it's just mystifying to me. So we really we don't know um, what exactly was was in this material because there was just so much of it. But there was a lot of interest in the military to, to get a hold of it and to keep it secret. You would think that by now, if this stuff was of no interest, was of no scientific value. Uh, 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 Mr. Uh, Mr. Trump said that uh, most of the material was, uh, as he put it, was philosophical in nature and not scientific. You would think that if this stuff was that way, that it would have been released right now. At least, yeah. you know, at least, you know, copies of it would be available. Nope, none of it. You know, uh, some stuff from private collections, or that was discovered um, just by chance, you know, in uh, somebody, you know, people's basements and attics. That's all. I mean, it's just bits and pieces. So we really have no idea um, just exactly what kind of amazing stuff uh, is is yet to be found. As we uh, wind down our discussion here, uh, we've got a few more minutes, but there's been also speculation that maybe Tesla's death wasn't entirely natural. Any ideas? You know, um, it it probably was. I mean, uh, 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 Tesla was. I mean, he 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 was pretty old at the time. Um, he was well into his um, into his eighties, and and in fact. The previous year, he had been accidentally struck by a taxi cab um, when he was uh, uh, crossing the street. So he he wasn't in the best of health. Um, so I mean, I I dare say that that, that his death uh, uh, was natural. Now uh, the FBI was certainly keeping tabs on him because there were several agents that were embedded. Uh, in the New Yorker Hotel, uh, uh, on the floor just below where Tesla lived, that uh, they kept his, they, they kept their eye on him, and, and in fact, there are stories uh, circulating that, uh, that that Tesla, up until the time that he died, was uh, uh, possibly 
uh, are working for the United States government uh, uh, for various uh, reasons. Uh, uh, Tesla's personal secretary, a guy who uh, worked with Tesla for most of his life, reported that um, a few days before Tesla died, that um, that Tesla was still doing uh, certain experiments that have been that are still classified as top secret at a laboratory located on one of the upper levels of the New Yorker Hotel. So that uh, that was some really inter- interesting information, considering that for years people have said that uh, Tesla was broke and that he had spent he, he spent his last days just feeding pits apart. But his personal secretary said, no, that's not true. He was still doing research and development on uh, various projects, some of them... Uh, being funded by the United States government. Tim, you have um, several books here about Tesla, The Lost Journals of Nikola Tesla. Explain how your books are laid out for people. Oh, my gosh. Well, um, The Lost Journals of Nikola Tesla was uh, the first one that I wrote. Uh, I started writing it in 1999. Uh, It was released in uh, 2001. There have been uh, several updates. Uh, to it since that time, so uh, and uh, you know, I'm, I'm discovering new information all the time <laughs> and, and adding updates, so it's probably coming due to have a, uh, a new one. And, and believe it or not, that book has not been out of print since that time. There's wow. still an amazing uh, you know, interest you know, in that one. I, I've done, the, you know, uh, there was another one I did uh, called Men of Mystery, which uh, uh, dealt with a, uh, a guy by the name of Otis T. Carr, uh, who in the 1950s and early 60s had developed uh, a, uh, a flying saucer type of device that he said was based on um, some of Tesla's uh, anti-gravity uh, designs. And you know, he said that, uh, that this was going to be a device that could uh, fly to the moon and back uh, in just a matter of, of, of a day or so. So that's, that's, that's an interesting book. I wish that one had gotten a little bit more attention because this, this is another guy that uh, has kind of, uh, people have kind of forgotten about. Uh, uh, his, his device never flew because uh, he was arrested by the, uh, by the government and accused of, of frauding uh, 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 people using uh, uh, bad stocks and bonds and things like that. So it's, it's a fascinating story as well. And if... Um we get an opportunity. Do you think there will be a any group of scientists, any uh, scientific research facility that might finally crack the code here, if you will, uh, to determine how Tesla uh, was going to uh, finish this project and actually be able to do what he said he was going to do with free with electricity uh, being transmitted like radio waves? Do you think there's a group of scientists that will actually be able to figure this one out? Well, I, th- I think so. It's it's just a matter of whether or not, um, if you know, my earlier stories about uh, uh, possible military development of, of these ideas. You know, if if you have a laboratory that comes up with something similar, um, they may run into a roadblock because the military uh, or or a laboratory supporting laboratory may have already issued patents along these lines. And they'll find that you know they can't issue a patent yeah. for what they're working on, or you know uh, 
even even more frightening, you know, they'll, they'll find that uh, all of a sudden the men in black are knocking on the door saying, <laughs> you know, you can't go any further with this. Right. It's top secret. Yeah. Uh, one more uh, chat question that uh, I find curious, and I don't know what the meaning is to this question. You hopefully will, Tim. But uh, the question is, has Tim reached out to Bob Lazar about any pages or research he knows of Tesla? Um, um, you know, I, I've talked to Bob Lazar, but um, uh, uh, Lazar has never really uh, 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 talked that much about Tesla, and, and I know where they're going uh, uh, with this. Um, but um, as, as, as far as I know, uh, Lazar has never talked or expressed that much interest. Um, you know, in in Tesla's work, and again, you know, it, it may be a situation where, um, uh, you know, coinciding uh, developments of technology, uh, you know, the people may not realize that they are working or developing something that Tesla had been working on, or you know, or even had gone as far as to have a patent issued a yeah. hundred uh, years ago. <laughs> Well, it's a great discussion, as always, Tim. I'm glad you agreed to come back and, and have this conversation with us because Tesla is a fascinating character, and I think as time goes on, we'll start to understand him a little bit better. He's, he remained such an enigma for so long, and I think we're starting to, uh, you know, some of those clouds are starting to part, and we're starting to get a handle on who this guy was. Yeah, it's, uh, I'm, I'm always interested uh, to, to, to hear uh, new people coming out and saying, "Oh my gosh, I just discovered this this guy Nikola Tesla and all yeah. the wonderful things that he's done." So yeah, I mean, the, uh, as years go by, it's just uh, it, it, it's heartwarming for me to see uh, his name just uh, getting out there more and more. Well, your work in both the books you've written plus um, appearances on shows like this helps get that word out. So, Tim, thanks so much. Look forward to having you back uh, again real soon. My pleasure. I had a great time tonight, and I hope your audience enjoyed it as well. Beyond Reality Paranormal is hosted by J.V. Johnson and produced by Orion Palmer and Slick Eddie Edwards. Like us on Facebook and subscribe to our YouTube channel. Please consider supporting the program either through your podcast platform, click on the link in the description, or on Patreon at Joha Productions. If you'd like to be a guest on Beyond Reality Paranormal or you have a recommendation for a guest, contact our producer, Slick Eddie Edwards. Eddie is spelled with a Y at slickeddieedwards at gmail.com.